You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. There are a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. And that's it, plain and simple. And I don't want to hear anything about, I don't believe in vampires. Because I don't fucking believe in vampires. What I believe in my own two eyes, and what I saw is fucking vampires. Hello everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you're listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies, the ones you are nostalgic about, the ones you grew up with, and we watch them objectively without the rose-colored glasses, let you know, are these movies any good, or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 1996's action horror crime thriller, From Dusk Till Dawn. Ooh, action horror crime thriller. A lot of genres in this one, as many people who have uh, seen the movie probably know. Vampires, no interviews, by the way. That was the tagline. Pretty clever. A little, little riff on the old interview with a vampire, dude. Dude, oh my god. I, the vampires <laughs> in this movie. I Let's just dive into our history with this movie because I'll start. I have a friend who owned this movie on VHS, and I was pr- pretty young the first time I saw this movie. Definitely not like, like I must have been 12, 13 years old the first time I saw this movie and it was given to me in no context, none whatsoever. It was just, this is a pretty cool movie. Let's just watch it. My friend obviously knew I had no fucking idea what was coming. I didn't see the tagline. I didn't know the plot. I didn't know fucking anything about this movie. And, you know, halfway through, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. It's about two fucking bank robbers. And then, holy goddamn fucking shit. (laughs) The turnaround (laughs) in this movie is so fucking crazy if you've never seen it before. Yeah, it's a movie that I feel like you can really only experience at its fullest once like there's you get one watch where you're really fucking knocked out of your socks if you have no idea going into this and then from then on out you know i I talked to like two different groups of people one think the first half is really the the greatest bit like the whole crime thriller aspect of this the hostage situation sure far better than once it turns into a fucking yeah vampire (laughs) blood orgy uh as a kid when i was introduced to this which was before the age of 10 my dad showed me this before i was 10 years old (laughs) one i that first watch i didn't know it was about vampires because i didn't see any trailers or anything like that beforehand I don't think my dad had seen the movie either. And when you're watching a movie like this with your parents for the first time, yes, my dad let me watch these movies, but he's still going to cover your eyes. Every once in a while, he'll just talk loudly over the swear words and whatnot to try and censor this to some degree. But this was a movie where I remember him just blatantly giving up trying to censor it about, you know, once we get into this whole, you know, later half of the movie with the amount of nudity and violence, you can't censor it. The movie would be like, you know, 25 minutes long. Yeah. It was a movie that I felt dirty for watching, like, like way more adult, way more mature. And mm-hmm. was kind of one of those movies that I was surprised my dad let me watch this young. And it stuck with me for many years. Just the fact that it was just so over the top violent. I got to say, though, I haven't seen it in a good maybe five or six years. It's always been a movie I've kind of caught, though, uh, from time to time, being a Tarantino fan. It's one that, from his filmography, though, because, again, he scripted this, didn't direct it. It's one that I go through or go back to less so than his kind of, you know, bigger hits. Yeah, agreed. And I like the I like the way you put it. You feel dirty watching this movie afterwards. Well, at least, I, you know, you did if you saw it as young as we did. For sure. Um, it, you just, like, what did I just watch? And... I also remember this being not my first movie with nudity, but, you know, a pretty early on one. Oh, yeah. This was one that I think I uh, rewound and fast forwarded to certain parts again and again throughout my youth. Uh, the VHS tape was worn, I'll say. Yeah. Because you masturbated to uh, vampires. No, that's not what I was getting at, dude. No, I was very interested in filmmaking, and I, especially this opening shot here, there's a lot to love about the film uh, from a filmmaking perspective, because of course it's directed by uh, Robert Rodriguez. Let's move on. Uh, our second Rodriguez feature following Spy Kids just a few episodes ago. Quick reminder of his filmography, he's responsible for El Mariachi, Desperado, The Faculty, all four Spy Kids films, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Sin City 1 and 2, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, The Planet Terror Half of Grindhouse, Shorts, Machete 1 and 2, and Alita Battle Angel. Oof. Now, I feel like 
Rodriguez has kind of gone back to this shtick a couple of times with like machete parts of Sin City. Um, even the faculty's got some horror sci-fi stuff in there. You know, Tarantino, it seems like the closest he's ever got to recapturing this level of scuzzy was with with uh, Grindhouse, like his half of Grindhouse. That's sure. really where he's kind of gone back to the sort of exploitation B-movies that he grew up loving and whatnot. And this was technically his first paid writing gig, which I did not know, even though it came out after True Romance, which he wrote, and uh, fucking Natural Born Killers. So From Dust Till Dawn has a 7.2 on IMDb. It's got a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Cost $19 million to make it, earn $25 million in the U.S. and $59 million worldwide. Finished at number 61 on the box office charts that year, and in terms of other horror films released in 96, it earned less than Scream and The Island of Dr. Moreau, but it outgrossed The Craft and Hellraiser Bloodline. We also have to remember this is the mid-90s where horror, the genre itself, is just fucking dead. This is the year that Scream kind of revitalized it, but horror is not a bankable genre at this point. So... It kind of came, comes out of nowhere that Quentin Tarantino following Pulp Fiction, 1994, you know, one of the most revolutionary films of the 1990s. He's going to follow that up with a fucking <laughs> vampire road movie. <laughs> Dude, I like it is such a weird thing for him to do, man. It's just like it comes out of fucking nowhere. And despite its modest box office success, it became a cult favorite on home video. It spawned two direct-to-video sequels. From Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money in 1998, which starred Robert Patrick. And then From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter in 1999, which starred Michael Parks, Rebecca Gayhart, and Orlando Jones. Danny Trejo, the only actor to have appeared in all three films. <laughs> also uh, worth noting, if you're an idiot like me, because I forgot that this was on HBO Max, so I went to Netflix first. And if you searched, Brandon, From Dust Till Dawn on Netflix, you get... From Dusk Till Dawn, the series. <laughs> That's right. There was also a television series inspired by the films, which premiered on the El Rey Network, produced and directed by Rodriguez. The show was intended to explore and expand on the characters and story from the film, providing a wider scope and richer Aztec mythology. It ran for three fucking seasons, I guess was canceled in 2016. Three seasons? When did he... How do you expand on this idea? <laughs> I don't know, man, but there was even also a fucking video game released in 2001 that's based on events that transpired directly after the end of this film. So okay. they got their mileage out of the script, I guess, yeah. out of this idea. Fuck, I guess so. Now, Tarantino at this point had directed Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. He originally was set to direct the movie, but decided not to so that he could focus more on the screenplay and his role as Richard Gecko. Because, yes, let's uh, remind folks. He's in this fucking movie as well. Yeah. Not just like a cameo like you see in a couple of his films. No, he's like a full-fledged supporting character of this movie. On the poster, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Rennie Harlan and Tony Scott were the first directors who showed any interest in directing the film, but it did go to Rodriguez. Tarantino wrote the script as a way to showcase the talents of a special effects company called KNB, and in return, KNB agreed to provide the special effects for the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs free of charge. Wow. And again, this was his first paid writing gig. Universal Pictures originally considered the screenplay as the follow-up to Demon Knight and the second in a proposed Tales from the Crypt film trilogy, but ultimately produced another vampire film, Bordello of Blood, instead. And the film was banned in Ireland. That ban was lifted in 2004, I guess released with an 18 certificate. The fuck is Ireland's problem? <laughs> it seems like a weird one to get, you know, kind of conservative yeah. with. I don't know. Like, I understand maybe, like, China or something <laughs> like that, but fucking... Ireland was like, nope, okay. not having these vampires and titties. There's too much of Harvey Keitel denouncing God for Ireland's taste. <laughs> Yeah, Cheech Marin plays too many characters in this movie. <laughs> so the name of the movie is taken from the signs found on drive-ins. These signs indicate the length of the shows, which ran from dusk till dawn. And the movie, of course, full of reference to midnight movies and films, which were often intended for teenagers to watch late at night from their own cars. The body count, 122 people somehow die in this movie. And what? we do mention awards every so often. George Clooney, he won a couple MTV Movie Awards for his role, while Tarantino received a Razzie nomination for Worst Supporting Actor. I love that you keep bringing up MTV Movie Awards on this podcast. I've begged <laughs> you so many times to stop bringing up MTV Movie Awards on this podcast, Brandon. So many times. I know. <laughs> 
just another one of those stupid running jokes we will not let die. <laughs> well, no. I think you I I think you me specifically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just can't part with it. I'm sorry. Uh, and lastly, the film was rated R for strong violence and gore, language and nudity. And boy, howdy, does it have all of that in spades. I forgot how much not only nudity was in this movie, but just swearing in general. George Clooney uses the word fuck like a comma in this movie. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it, there is a lot of Tarantino in this movie for sure. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. Oh, goodness. Oh, God. The movie, I got to say, remains kind of one of my favorite movie openings Maybe of all time, at least maybe there's a few, one shot at least, but I think the whole opening is fucking awesome. This first five minutes. It is. It is probably the most fans of modern day Quentin Tarantino will probably get the most out of this scene because I think it is the most Tarantino saying of the entire movie. Yeah, it honestly almost feels like a Coen Brothers scene, too, because I mean, it begins with this beautiful vista, this wide shot of this old town road in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Police car pulls off into a gas station liquor store. We meet Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, played by Michael Parks. Uh, he passed away, sadly, pretty recently. He was last seen in Tusk and uh, Red State. He walks in. It seems business as usual at first. He grabs a beer out of the cooler and has the clerk get him some jack off the shelf. The clerk is Pete Bottoms, played by John Hawks. And, you know, it's a typical Tarantino, like, mean-spirited dialogue here in this mm -hmm. conversation. It starts out about this poor, like, mentally challenged boy that they go on forever about that eventually leads into a bank robbery that's just gone down in Abilene. Three cops dead, one civilian killed as well. It's all over the news. And these guys allegedly have a hostage in tow and are headed right here for the border, right this way. So Earl goes to the bathroom, and just as he's out of sight, George fucking Clooney sporting a Hot Topic neck tattoo and Quentin Tarantino in a very unfortunate hairdo uh, come up from the back of the store with two young women at gunpoint. When they show up out of nowhere and, like, this movie, because, you know, this dialogue, you're kind of getting sucked into the dialogue because it's, like, I don't know, it's good Tarantino dialogue, you know, especially compared to the rest of this movie, but when they finally just kind of like turn that corner and they're holding guns and it's like, you know, holding hostages, it's like, holy fuck, your heart starts racing. But these are the Gecko brothers and our aforementioned bank robbers. The clerk, you know, he's trying to remain natural, keep it cool, and he's ordered to get the sheriff out of there as soon as he gets out of the bathroom. And again, George Clooney, every other word is fuck, but he, then he'll have these these one-liners or these things that'll say that, God damn it, everybody be cool. You be cool. I gotta say, he's pretty fucking cool in this movie. <laughs> Dude, he is, and he's looking young as shit. Yes, man, tan to the max, and again, that black, like, tribal tattoo swirly shit he's got on his neck is kind of silly, but he is trying to pull off the hard ass, and it, it's reminiscent almost of like a Matt Damon in The Born Identity where you think this guy's a pretty boy. He has no reason to try and pull off this like badass, but they managed to do it. And honestly, I'm surprised by yeah. how intimidating George Clooney's coming up. He's got this like menace to him because obviously Tarantino's character is the creepy psychopath, but like you you can kind of sense that like Clooney's character is capable of fucking anything too. Yeah. So Earl comes back out, he starts chatting with the clerk and Tarantino he plays Richie Gecko, shoots him in the back of the head, kills him instantly, fires a few more rounds into him. He claims he saw the clerk signaling to the ranger that he needed help when he absolutely did not. So he shoots the clerk. So right off the top, we know Richie, very unstable, clearly the crazier of the two. Um, but the clerk's still alive. He shoots Richie in the hand. There's a shootout that ends with the clerk covered in alcohol and set on fire. And this is why I mentioned one of my favorite openings, this one take. We've seen it before, you know, we've seen it since, but I don't know with I don't know if we've seen it with this level of like swagger or talent behind and in front of the camera. It's just, you know, the Gecko brothers arguing as they walk away from the building which is exploding slowly behind them, this gas station. And they're pulling it off. Like they're totally in character. They never once break or look behind them. They never wince at any of the sound effects or like the explosions going off. It's it's just so well done. I love this shot. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, man. So they set off driving. 
both of these characters, you know, larger than life. And it's what we thought was so goddamn cool back in the 90s. You know, they're Seth's chugging Jack Daniels while driving. Seth has this hole in his hand uh, that he wraps in duct tape because <laughs> it solves all problems, brother. And they get to a shitty motel to lay low for a while. They bring the hostage inside. It's an older woman. And Seth tells her the rules while basically threatening her life with a gun. No noise, no question. And a great line here, he's like, don't you ever fucking try to run because I have six little friends and they can all run faster than you. <laughs> it's pretty good. That Tarantino snappy one-liner dialogue. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of dialogue in this movie that personifies the gun. Because at one point he starts talking about, like, you talk, Mr. 45 talks. <laughs> you ask a question, Mr. 45 answers. <laughs> exactly. After Seth leaves to kind of figure out their next move, Richie asks the hostage if she'd like to come over on the bed and watch TV with him. And again, we're supporting actor nomination at the Razzies. Tarantino, right off the top, not a good actor. Not a good actor in any of his in his cameos. Not a good actor here in particular, but he does pull off creepy effortlessly. <laughs> he is a creepy son of a bitch, dude. I hope he doesn't get feet shoved into his mouth at any point. <laughs> oh, God, man. I did... <laughs> How many excuses can you write getting feet shoved into your face into one script? Dude, he'll push it. (laughs) I hope we don't get teenage feet shots. Oh, gosh. So we cut to a diner. We're introduced to the Fuller family, led by father, former pastor, Jacob Fuller. This is Harvey Keitel, who got top billing in the movie, by the way, right? You know, dust your shoulders off right off. I mean, yeah. I mean, who the fuck was George Clooney at this point? He was in ER, and that's about it. Right, and Harvey Keitel... He'd been famous for a while at that point. Yeah, yeah. He's joined by his teenage children, Scott and Kate, on their way in an RV to Mexico whilst on vacation. Kate is played by Juliette Lewis, who had just been in Natural Born Killers the year prior. Also written by Tarantino, of course. Her Asian adopted brother is Scott, played by Ernest Liu. And Jacob is suffering uh, Mel Gibson signs style crisis of faith following the death of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> didn't really think this would be a running uh, a running gag on the show, dude. I wonder how many more movies will come uh, into contact. I don't know, man, but I'm starting to think it might be a lazy plot device. <laughs> I don't know, dude. No, get out of here, man. Because he still believes in God, but he does not worship him. We get a quick little news segment. Kelly Preston, who also recently just passed away, RIP, makes a brief appearance as a TV reporter kind of covering the Gecko Brothers spree. They've killed 16 people, according to the news. Got this sweet counter graphics. <laughs> yeah, they do, man. Yeah, it's like a fucking sports game. John Saxon, by the way, is the woman she is the man that she is interviewing. That's Nancy's dad on Nightmare on Elm Street. I got to give it up to a lot of the supporting cast character actors that are thrown in throughout here. Like, <laughs> and most of them have maybe one or two lines, but they're all kind of somebody, which I, you know, it's something to appreciate 25 plus years after the film's released anyway. Seth gets back to the motel with plans to get to Mexico tonight to meet their contact tomorrow morning, but the hostage is dead. He finds her raped and mutilated in the bathroom, or the bedroom, rather. God, I mean, for this incredibly disgusting subject matter, I do appreciate and like how it's revealed. It's like the entire shot is on George Clooney's reaction, just his face, and it's got maybe, like, quick cuts these freeze frames of sort of some of the carnage and blood around the room yeah it's cool i actually thought something was fucked up with my tv when i saw it um (laughs) but it does really give this good sense of like how jarring it is even for george clooney's character yeah he's like what's fucking wrong with you dude (laughs) like richie claims she tried to escape but seth knows better and he finally just sort of flips out on him he tells him you know this isn't what he is he feels clearly responsible for his brother is like completely warped the ideology. And he knows that his brother looks up to him. So he's kind of confused as to why, you know, if he's his role model, why he's behaving this way. But when it's all settled, Richie's just super fucked up, disturbed and a vile human being. Like I, you grow to hate this character so much. He's like Lenny in fucking of mice and men. Brandon, that's a, that's a book joke. I'm not sure that you get it because oh, you can't read. Oh shit, dude. I thought you were talking about who was allowed in a pet store. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking kill me, dude. (laughs) Unfortunately for the Fuller family, they pull into the same motel where the gecko boys are. Richie pulls the old, do you have ice trick? (laughs) Seth's right behind him. And they pretty quickly take the the Fuller's hostage. Guns drawn. Uh, We do get a bit uh, 
inside the mind of Richie every so often. So as he's kind of watching the entire hostage crisis play out, he just pictures Juliette Lewis, the teenage daughter, I think. She's at least not 21. I think she she was like 23 when this came out, but I think she's playing an 18-year-old or somewhere around there. Yeah, under 21. So he's just staring at her, and all of a sudden she turns towards him unprovoked and just asks, Richie, would you do me a favor and eat my pussy? <laughs> like, oh my God, this guy's so weird Jesus and fuck. Oh, fuck. So they force the Fullers to drive them across the border in their RV. You know, at first, Seth's trying to make small talk with Jacob in the front, Richie being a total grosso in the backseat, ogling this young woman, including her fucking feet. Because again, Tarantino. Yeah, and you know, he didn't have to put, the director didn't have to put the feet shots in there right like, no he, well i don't know dude <laughs> that was maybe like a you condition. think that was like, like a yeah. stipulation for tarantino for sure it was in his contract but i will say right. that i do like the way the style of the way that rodriguez shoots this because as an audience member he's shooting this to make you feel gross because you're in the mind of this guy so it's like weird shots that you wouldn't necessarily pick to even uh, like sexualize a woman it's just random parts of her body that he's staring at that clearly just make you feel uneasy with like the comfort and how close we are again you we talked about how like gross this movie makes you feel it really is like a just a trashy grungy movie yeah and there's a couple other points coming up really soon that like uh it's you know the way they sexualize women in this movie is is a little scuzzy there is a pretty great scene here at the border uh, you know, Jacob and Scott are arguing about what they're going to do in the front seat while the Gecko brothers are holding Kate at gunpoint in the bathroom. Border Patrol guard, played by Cheech Marin, in one of three roles that he plays in this movie. That's correct. <laughs> I love it. He comes aboard as, you know, Jacob is kind of acting fishy. Either way, he ends up leaving. They, uh, what is it? Fucking Seth has to knock out. Richie, because he's being so gross and obnoxious in the back, like making noise, clearly garnering attention from the Border Patrol guard in the first place. He's just the fucking worst. So they literally have to knock him out for him to stop being an asshole. <laughs> but they make it across the border without incident. Um, and shortly after they make it to their rendezvous, a strip club in the middle of the desert, the location where we will remain for the rest of this film, the Titty Twister. <laughs> Dude, and this is... This is when, as a kid, when you were watching this, this is when you were like, wait a second, like, this is, this movie's about to get dirty. Because we were like, yeah. you know, yeah. we had already kind of been exposed to violence, I'm sure, you know, as kids will yeah. do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, Absolutely. But this was when you were just like, oh, it's about to, like, sex. Like, we're about to see sex. Dad, you're not going to take this out? You're going to let me keep watching? Okay, man. All right, dude. It's on you. It's on your soul. Well, how would you describe the titty twister, though, Zach? <laughs> it's got, without going into maybe, like, the plot spoilers, it the place itself is so over-the-top ridiculous. It's, like, neon lights covering it. There's a The entrance itself is a vagina. <laughs> it's at least vagina-shaped. Yeah, man. It's over-the-top. <laughs> it's it like honestly it reminds me of mad max like because there's sure, dudes yeah, outside. Yeah. yeah it yeah. looks post-apocalyptic but it's supposed to just be some random dive in mexico and cheech marin is seen once again second role now he's got strange hairline and facial hair combo uh but he is <laughs> a connoisseur of the flesh picture like a snake oil salesman but just screaming about quote pussy <laughs> <laughs> we're slashing pussy in half it's a pussy blowout he loves pussy so much he's credited as chet pussy <laughs> <laughs> which if we still had dj names would have been my dj chet pussy we've got every kind here he even eventually mentions like dogs and chickens what is happening what is happening dude i don't yeah uh, i remember at that the top line of his lungs just grossing me out when i first heard it and like it it's not any better i mean he may be the most appropriately named character in cinema history chet pussy wow so the geckos arrive. This is supposedly where they'll be meeting their contact, Carlos, at dawn. So they're going to head in, just drink the night away, have some fun until then. Carlos will then escort them to Sanctuary at El Rey, which is this place of safety for fugitives from justice whose admission fee is about 30% of everything they have. 
which which seems like an arbitrary weird thing to do to take percentages of what you've stolen rather than a set amount. Like if I only had 50 bucks, you know, you're only going to get 30% of that as opposed to the guy who just stole 3 million. I don't know what the you know, I think it's more of a I guess a moral understanding when you when you arrive in El Rey, but uh, <laughs> I guess I don't not a lot of moral understanding here at the Titty Twister. And like I mentioned, Chet Pussy, his sales pitch, he's exclaiming something about if you purchase one pussy at regular price, he'll throw in a pussy of equal or lesser value for a penny. And he ends this pitch with, and if you can find a cheaper pussy, fuck it. <laughs> Ugh. Staring directly into the camera. Yeah, so, dude. I mean, we know what you're in for. It's yeah. <laughs> This movie, I don't know, it, it has such a weird shift in tone at certain points, and obviously we're going to get to the biggest shift in tone, but it, it is just like, I don't know, you have moments of like, oh my god, we're like following psychotic people and really tense moments, and then it's just like, what the fuck is going on with this bar? <laughs> like, are we watching fucking a comedy now? What is going on? Yeah. As soon as he lays hands on Seth, Clooney fucking hauls off and beats the shit out of him out of nowhere. And then Tarantino's like kicking him on the ground. Presumably the guy's dead or whatever. Anyway, they just go on like whatever, another day. And inside, it's exactly what you'd picture a bar called the Titty Twister to be. There's naked dancers on tables. Everyone's drinking. Danny Trejo, of course, is the bartender. Looking young as fuck. God, he looks great. Looks great here. Well built. This is what the year before Con Air. So, whew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good to be Trejo. Thankfully, Kaitel has a truck driver's license, which grants them admission because, again, this is a truck driving and biker bar or bust. So this is back when I was a kid. I started to remember anyway why this movie was kind of so <laughs> important to me at that age. Because when you see this kid, Scott, the like the Asian teenager, <laughs> he's just looking around this room, smiling from fucking ear to ear. And this movie is packaged and tailored specifically for like a 12 year old boy. Mm -hmm. It's titties, snakes, cursing, violence, and vampires. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It's like, and sometimes this script kind of feels like Tarantino did write this when he was 16. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, absolutely. At least maybe the second half. Yeah, for sure. Because this is where it just gets so far over the top. Again, some more fun cameos from like effects wizards Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero. Savini is the one with the dick gun, and his name is Sex Machine. Yeah. So, <laughs> Seth is drinking. He eventually gets the Fullers to drink too, and then all of a sudden, lights go out. And Trejo introduces the mistress of the macabre, the epitome of evil, Santanico Pandemonium. This is Selma Hayek. Yes. Oh my god. I gotta god. say, like, up until a certain moment, and we'll you'll know immediately when that moment is, this may be one of like the sexiest moments put to film. This whole like dance bit, oh my god. It really is, man. It is like the most sensual thing I think I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's she insane. comes out in this bikini wrapped in a snake and this giant headpiece and yeah i mean the snake's eventually removed from her shoulders and she just does this very slow seductive dance for a few minutes it's like at least three to five minutes of this scene oh and yeah I'm not it's, complaining. A, it's a big chunk of of this act um and you know it's great it's great if you're a 13 year old boy um it's great <laughs> As men nearing their 30s until you get a little bit of Jack Daniels and you pour it down your leg so it's dripping off your feet. And then you shove that foot straight into the mouth of Quentin Tarantino. Then it's not as sexy. It loses a lot of its appeal. Oh, man. I did not need fucking Tarantino's tongue slobbering all over the place. <laughs> Dude, I we've made comments before, probably not on this show, because I don't think we've done a Tarantino movie. I could be wrong. No. Um, <laughs> But I, I feel like I've made the comment before that this dude, like, I, I think he only makes movies to fulfill his foot fetish. <laughs> like, I think that's the only thing going on. Look, we're not here. This is not a kink shaming podcast. No. You know, if you want to show Salma Hayek's feet, wonderful. I don't need to see them in your mouth, <laughs> Tarantino. Because then she even takes a sip of the beer and then spits it into his mouth. It's just immediately we were it, the scene was so beautiful and seductive. And then it couldn't have taken a harder right turn. And then just bleh. and then the movie itself right here does take an even harder <laughs> right, right turn because this is where first a bar fight breaks out. Fun ends pretty quick when Chet Pussy's goons <laughs> end up fingering Seth and the crowd as the guy who beat him up. 
Uh, so this fight breaks out. Richie's already damaged hand is like speared to the table at one point. They shoot some guys. Uh, but all of the blood pouring out of Richie's hands is starting to excite Salma Hayek in a sort of disturbing way. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, an hour and one minute into From Dusk Till Dawn with a mere 45 minutes left that it's just now a vampire movie. <laughs> I've never been so shaken. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it is so out of fucking left field considering the first hour that you just watched this movie was like this crime thriller. So much intense stuff going on and then suddenly it's a fucking b-horror movie and it's a shame because those original theatrical trailers kind of spoiled the bit you could very easily market that as a crime thriller it may not get as many you know butts in the seats but again i feel like you really couldn't have you really can't experience from dust till dawn the same way now that you did watching it for the first time not knowing anything if you were just one of the lucky people who just no one spoiled it for you you didn't know anything about the trailers or anything like that. If you were just able to see this movie for the first time, it truly knocks you on the fucking ground this moment. It's an experience that I am very grateful to have had, to having never heard of this movie, not knowing a single fucking thing about it, and ending up seeing it for what it is. Like, you don't get to see that ever for any movie. You know, like, even, like, with Shyamalan shit, you know, like, a twist is coming. But, like, this was truly just like, what the fuck? I had no fucking idea this is what this movie was. And the, my friend's sitting over in the corner laughing at me. Which is what you do when you show people this movie for the first time who have no idea. Yeah, you wait, you wait until there's 45 minutes left in the movie for the biggest laugh of your life because people are so fucking confused as to what's going on. Because Tarantino, wisely, I think, there's no foreshadowing. There's no clever little vampire hints here or there or anything like that. It literally just... No. Just comes out of nowhere, which I love about it. Nowhere, <laughs> I know it. It's true. Like, there's not any mention of like vampire. They don't even say the word vampire until <laughs> they get to the vampires. <laughs> like, it's not even like it's not even a little bit of dialogue. He like Clooney doesn't say, "I don't believe in vampires." <laughs> No, instead we get Salma Hayek's face like CGI distorting into a practical makeup vampire bust that is a bit strange looking in 2020. The CGI doesn't look that great. Some of the makeup effects also don't look great, but I do applaud the most of this is practical. Most of this is practical effects. The makeup is pretty Mm -hmm. fun and it's, again, a little cheesy, but goddammit. They go fucking balls to the wall with this, and I, and I have a lot of fun with it. It reminds me of those animals from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja 2, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Ew. Yeah, Ew. But she jumps on Richie, bites him on the neck. Then all the dudes they just shot stand up with some strange-ass, like, vampire foreheads and mouths, including Jet Pussy. And then, I mean, well over half of the patrons, all of the staff turn into vampire creatures and just start wreaking havoc. This whole scene is just limbs and heads flying everywhere and people getting bit and blood shooting all over the place. You know, we do find out the old wooden stake through the heart works. Chet Pussy is killed. Sex Machine, meanwhile, <laughs> proves to be very effective at killing these guys. He kills Trejo with a pool cue who turns into a puddle of black and green goo. One of the vampires there is snapping necks left and right with such ease, but he is dispatched by Fred Williamson, who plays the gentleman by the name of Frost, uh, who rips the guy's still-beating heart out, and then Sex Machine stabs it with a pencil. Kind of, kind of a little clever bit there. Yeah, and then we've get, the, and then we get this weird shot. This shot bothered the shit out of me, where they're like all standing in a line, and then like four of the stripper vampires show up, and they do this weird like West Side Story approach at each other. Like, this movie, it is insane how stylized and serious it is. And then it turns into, like, a straight-to-VHS movie. It is bizarre. (laughs) It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. And Again, part of the charm, and I'll admit frustration with this movie, is the lack of consistency with regard to stages of vampirism and why certain ones turn to goo and some just have, like, forehead buddy on and then others look like decomposing fucking bat people <laughs> yeah it, it like it is just all over the place it's just fucking it's like getting drunk <laughs> like you just start out with a couple of drinks and you start to feel pretty good and then like you get to the twitty the titty twister and it's like okay well you know i feel pretty drunk and then you just black out 
Like, shit goes fucking insane. That's what this movie is. It's just drinking. Dude, the band, it's, this is so dumb. The band who's been playing instruments this whole time is now playing, like, like body part guitars and shit. It's, <laughs> it's such a stupid cutaway, and they go back to it so many times. I love it. Oh, oh God. God. Pretty soon, our characters are whittled down to the Fullers, Seth, Sex Machine, and Frost. So... Richie finally turns into like a Frankenstein looking vampire for a bit. Then he just looks like Tarantino with fangs for a quick second. Then it goes back and forth again. No consistency. But the bodies eventually all burst into flames, including Richie's after he's staked in the heart as well. Seth starts drinking some more and then we hear bats. Sure enough, an entire swarm of bats is now covering the titty twister. And again, a lot of this is just stuff, you know, you kind of have to see to appreciate a lot of these zombie, or zombie vampire effects. Again, I kind of mix them up with zombies because a lot of the lore surrounding them in this movie is very similar to uh, what happened, the, the tropes and cliches of zombie movies. Like Sex Machine right here, he uh, gets bit and then does this whole thing where he's going to be that guy in the movie who pretends he isn't bit for a little while and then eventually we'll have to fucking kill him. You know, it's these things you've seen before, but kind of with a, a vampire spin. I do appreciate the fact that they dispatch with the is this really vampires bit really quick. Like, <laughs> Clooney basically comes out like, I don't believe in vampires, but those are fucking vampires, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what you yep. want me to tell me. We're not going to do this whole thing. Like, what do we so what do we know about vampires from all the bullshit we've heard? And how can we use this to our advantage, basically? So, you know, stakes, fires, crosses, sunlight, all that. Shit. So stupid. <laughs> it is. It is. But again, they play it super. I can't say seriously because there's so many winks and nods. And some of those shit here is just so over the top silly. But like Clooney, Kaitel, all of our central characters are playing it as if their characters are real people, which I, I kind of appreciate. It at least lends, a, I won't say a, a sense of realism, but a, it grounds the movie to a certain degree. These vampires have superhuman strength, but we can still hurt them. Our best weapon, though, is Jacob. He's a preacher, but he needs to regain his faith. Whew. If those demons, those vampires came from hell, there's got to be a heaven, Zach. <laughs> so are you a faithless preacher or a badass motherfucking servant of God? <laughs> Dude, and I, get, I, just, I know I just said this, but this is, like, this is when it feels like he wrote this when he was fucking 15. <laughs> Frost is getting into his, like, Vietnam vet backstory while Sex Machine is, you know, starting to turn into a vampire. His hands grow claws, fangs start to sharpen, and he pops up behind Frost, bites him on the neck. Then he bites Jacob on the arm. Frost turns into a very unfortunate-looking vampire. Do not like the, the face, the mouth on this guy. And uh, the swarm of bats fly inside. So Seth, Kate, and Scott escape to a storeroom, followed shortly by an injured but still alive Jacob, now brandishing a shotgun. So in the storeroom, for a quick second, I was like, why are all these items in here? And then I guess it, I guess you're meant to believe that this is all like truck cargo that the vampires have looted from past victims. There's like a whole box full of like squirt guns. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, there's Nerf guns here. Cool. It's just boxes of all this random weird shit that they use to basically, you know, mount their defense. They like put a stake on a drill and a crossbow. They've got holy water and in, in water balloons and shit. <laughs> it's just insanity. I don't know what. Yeah, it's fucking weird. <laughs> but yeah, again, this kind of requires Jacob though to recover his faith to bless the water dude into the squirt guns. <laughs> so he's got to make a signs recovery here, and uh, tell Meryl to swing away. So he also makes them the promise. You know what? You got to kill me when I inevitably turn into a vampire. Just make sure I'm fucking dead for the love of God. And from here on out, it's them just kind of laying waste to vampires, vampire bad people. But most of them are just like naked vampire monster creatures. <laughs> so sex machine now turns into like this giant mutant vampire rat. <laughs> I don't, uh, for no reason. I don't know why he I've, turns into that. Dude, dude, I don't know what's going on in this movie. I just don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand. At one point, Jacob shoves a shotgun through Frost and then uses like his flesh, the chunks of meat to like cock the gun after he's like, shooting. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's not long after that, though, that he does turn into a vampire and he bites Scott. But Scott does stay true to his promise. He kills his dad after he bites him. Then he's surrounded by vampires and they're fucking tearing him apart. Holy shit, getting their munch on. It seems like Scott got it the worst of all these characters, and he's just begging his sister to please fucking kill me. Please, please just kill me. 
And thankfully she does grant some mercy by putting one right in his chest and he blows up. Oh, that's right, because they also put little crosses on all the bullets, which then causes all of the vampires to like fucking explode every up. time they're hit by one. All right, movie. All right. But just in the nick of time, the sun finally starts to come out. It is now morning and the sunlight's kind of coming through all the little holes that have been shot throughout the uh, bar. And that is when Carlos, Cheech Marin in his third appearance, <laughs> now playing the contact, he shoots through the door, all of the vampires burst into flames, and he saves the day inadvertently. And him and George Clooney get into this sort of like argument where he's like, why the fuck did you pick this place? And he's like, I don't know. It's like a bar in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it just seemed like there'd be no cops there. <laughs> like, I love the idea that one, he had no idea, like never had been to the place before. And you, I was wondering, I mean, especially on my like first watch, like when this guy gets here, is he going to be, you know, part of this? Is he also going to be a vampire? And I love the fact that he, he was almost like a fucking coincidence. He's like, Oh shit. I am so sorry. Right. <laughs> It is like it is just kind of a funny way to end like what has been acknowledged as maybe the most ridiculous 45 minutes in film <laughs> yeah Clooney's like my brother's dead her whole fucking family's dead this is all because of you so because of that he you know Carlos agrees that he'll take only 25% of the money to go live in LA so brokers a new deal Carlos is paid and Kate asks Seth you know hey can I go with you seeing as how I have no family nothing to really live for I've lost everything and you kind of dragged me into this yeah also in Mexico so <laughs> um, yeah. but no he refuses you know apparently as a kindness leaves her with some cash and she drives away in the RV leaving the titty twister which is revealed to be at the top of a partially buried Aztec temple. <laughs> which I assume is the basis of the series, man. Right. Ah, nice. Nice. Dude. Cut to black. That's from Dust Till Dawn, brother. Yeah, man. Ugh. Wow. <laughs> I just, you want me to start? I do. I do. I feel like I might be a little kinder, which is yeah, every so often the case on the show. Yeah, once in a, once in a while. Um, <laughs> I actually... I don't think I have that many bad things to say because as as crazy as this movie drives me with just the absurdity of it, I actually think it's a pretty fun movie. Like the the first half I think is so marvelous. I I really do. I I'm one of the people who loves the first half because it is a good crime thriller. It's very reminiscent of a lot of Tarantino that I love. You know, long dialogue, sort of drawn out, quiet scenery, followed by some intense violence that kind of comes out of nowhere. It, like it, it is very quintessential Tarantino for the first hour, and and I think it's spectacular. You know, I, there's a lot of people who are going to see the second half of this movie and hate it, and you know, think it's fucking ruins the movie or whatever. I don't think. I can bash this movie for doing something totally unique, uh, you, legitimately. Like, it's not nearly as strong as the first half of this movie, not even close. Um, but it's just kind of fun, like, that you think that you're settled into what you think you're watching, and then it's completely different. I just, I really like the that idea, not just for this movie, but for a lot of movies. I think that's something that, people should be doing mm -hmm. you know again there's a lot of issues with the second half the cgi does not hold up too well the dialogue absolutely starts to tank it's just like it's just kind of a little too weird for its own good at points but that being said man i think this is an enjoyable movie if you're nostalgic about it why wouldn't you go back and watch it it's not terrible um i think you can get a lot out of it um, especially now as an adult, like you don't feel quite as dirty watching it, but you still feel pretty dirty. I think it has a lot to offer as a movie. So I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 75. I think it's better than what critics oh, think. Nice. Wow. Yeah. I think you have to go in with a little bit of a grain of salt, knowing that you're about to see something truly weird. Other than that, man, I think it's a fun movie. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did feel some nostalgia. With yeah. The feeling of, watching something you know you shouldn't be watching and it used to be an exhilarating feeling now i'm so desensitized to all this shit that it's hard to elicit a response like that anymore but this movie remains as trashy and scuzzy and sweaty as it did back then i had a pretty good time with it it's a, a vulgar 
exploitative weirdo B movie with a decent budget, some pretty good actors minus Tarantino, and benefits, I think, greatly from Rodriguez's direction and style. I think the problems I have with it actually come down to the screenplay, which I don't often say with regard to Tarantino's scripts, you know? Sure. But like you said, man, some of the dialogue and characterizations, I just kind of found groan-inducing and mean-spirited, but... Then again, if you know going into this that it's a vampire gore fest, I think you'll be satisfied. If you were suckered into thinking this was a robbery gone wrong th- crime thriller, you know, you will either go one of two ways when the vampire turn occurs. Sorry. I, while I do think the turn is a hard right turn, I do feel like it is sort of in line with the tone of everything we've seen before that. It is jarring, and it's a completely different genre. But I do feel like it's, it at least feels like a whole movie, and it, it's not so different that it just feels like, you know, completely separated from what I've seen before, because I think the characters remain the same and whatnot. But Rodriguez and Tarantino set up that campy, nihilistic vulgarity right from the beginning and simply add vampires to the mix. <laughs> so the makeup effects are simultaneously impressive and cheesy, but I always love, you know, the tactile realism of in-camera effects, and I'm all for this gore and violence in the climax. But yeah, when all is said and done, it might be my least favorite Tarantino script. Yeah. But it still has so much energy and cool one-liners and a plot that moves. It keeps me invested. I think it could be enjoyed by those who watched it back in the day, haven't seen it in a long time. I also think new Tarantino fans today who haven't seen it should give it a watch because it's worth one. You know, by no means a classic of the genre, but in terms of mindless exploitation it's first rate and one of the best i think i'll go right around there with you i'll give it a 70 75 it's it was it's better than critics said it was but i was worried it would be almost uh too politically incorrect or crass or vulgar for it to even sit well in 2020 and i don't think it hits that point there's a lot of stuff in there that's like oh man i wish this wasn't but i think for tarantino it's it's kind of toned down honestly (laughs) yeah i would agree totally it is it's just one of the weirdest movies i've ever seen but in a completely good way yeah and i really think it defines the 90s with all these kind of like independent filmmakers just going fuck this i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want and a lot of it didn't work but when it does work like this movie i think does to a certain degree it's one that will stick with you and i think i'll watch this movie again a few years from now you know what i mean all right well before we get into next week um just do quick recommendation recommendations i will start only one thing to recommend um new netflix series it's a cartoon called hoops uh created by jake johnson who is Nick Miller from New Girl. I am a huge Jake Johnson fan. The show is really crass, super, super dumb, but I like it. I think it's funny. (laughs) Does it get any... Because I watched the first episode and I was like, oh man, I mean, I could continue this or I really couldn't. I don't (laughs) know. Yeah, it is. I think you have to go maybe two or three episodes before you make a decision on it because I kind (laughs) of felt the same way and I powered through it. Um, And there are just some jokes on there that hit really hard so i um it's it's not it doesn't get emotional it is purely stupid probably not the best thing i've seen in a long time but uh you know it keep it kept me entertained this week i uh the drive-ins actually are playing new movies for the first time in fucking forever here in california because again the indoor theaters are remaining closed so i did get a chance to go see a double bill of unhinged the Russell Crowe behind a wheel. Dude. Gotta kill this girl because she beeps at me at a traffic light movie. <laughs> I like. Oh, man. Dude, I would say. Wait, well, first of all, don't. don't Do not rush out to a theater to see Unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> do not risk your, your health for Unhinged. But I will say, when this fucking thing hits Netflix in, I don't know, two or three months, which it inevitably will. It's worth it's worth 90 minutes, my friend. Russell Crowe is chewing the scenery. What a performance. Yes, yes. <laughs> I had fun, though. I had fun, I got to say. It's really dumb. Uh, it seems like it's straight out of, like, the 90s, honestly, the yeah. whole premise. But I, I had fun with it. Oh, man. The second feature in this double bill, The Tax Collector, starring Shia LaBeouf oh, yeah, by yeah, uh, yeah, David yeah. Ayer. Holy fuck. That's probably the worst movie i've seen this year i nice. i was so bored and like none of it made any sense and he's done this fucking la crime street movie I, 10 times now i've seen it so many fucking times he did knocked it out of the park with training day and end of watch i don't need to see it again but he keeps coming back with like he did it harsh times which was actually pretty good but then he did like fucking 
Sabotage with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then he did uh, the fucking Street Kings with Keanu Reeves, and now he's got this one, and uh, god damn it, stop doing this, David Ayer. I would rather see Bright 2 than (laughs) watch this movie again. I know, dude, I know. Yikes, dude. All right, well. (sighs) Well, sorry to leave you like that, but yeah, do not watch The Tax Collector. Wait for that unhinged It's streaming. All right. All right. So next week, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and explain? Sure thing, man. Well, we're going to have a guest on. We're going back to Disney Plus, I believe, for this uh, one to stream. So if you're eager, you know, feel free to there. But this is actually Jamie's going to be returning on the podcast. He actually requested this movie because one, it was his first movie he ever saw in a theater. And two, the series was one that we wanted to get to at some point because it's fucking rife for this podcast. Uh, this podcast. We're going to 1992's Honey, I Blew Up. The Kid. So the sequel to Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. No, Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves? Honey, I Shrunk Myself? <laughs> Dude, shut up. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, I mean, we loved shrinking people, making them big and fat. So I'm super <laughs> excited to get back into this one. Haven't seen this one since legit being a kid, like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid. I haven't seen these movies since. So. Dude, I don't even know if I've seen this sequel. Yeah, it should be a fun time either way because Rick Moranis does return, and that's all that you need in this life is... Do love me some Rick Moranis. Yeah, dude, Moranis is what I always say. Moranis. More, gotta get me some more Rick Moranis. Yeah, you got it. Moranis. That was the joke. That's the end of Nostalgia Began. Uh, we're still... No, no! <laughs> we made it so far. We still <laughs> All right. Well, yes, if you want to listen to that episode and all our episodes, be sure to check out Podbean, which is our original hosted site. That's nbd.podbean.com. We are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and uh, I think we just got added to Amazon Music Audible uh, the last week. I didn't even know they had uh, podcasts, so you might be able to find us on there. I don't know. According to Podbean, you can. I mean, cool, man. Whatever. Uh, please, please, please like and subscribe the show. Write us a review. It really, really helps when you write a review. Tell your friends about this stupid show. That also helps when we, you know, people listen. Um, and don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, that's it. That is it. But you can also shoot us an email if you'd like to request an episode or just chat. It's uh, nostalgiabedampod at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be safe out there. Wash them hands. Wear your masks. Wear a right, mask. Zach? Wear a yeah. Wear a, wear a fucking mask. Oh, shit. He's getting a little... Okay. Wear a fucking mask. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, dude, put the gun down. Zach, put the gun down. <laughs> uh.